Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 89, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Why the Dirty Jobs Guy is offering scholarships for trade school, and cybersecurity is becoming quite the issue for K-12 schools. Stay with us. The podcast that inspires educators through stories. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, we're discussing the state of K through 12 education with longtime educator and author of the Marshall Memo, Kim Marshall. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how you doing? I'm great. Somebody's got a birthday tomorrow. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> you thought I'd forget. Oh, gosh. No. Yeah? Do we not want to talk about this? <laughs> it's the big one. <laughs> the big one. What's that mean? Well, I mean, I think... Oh, we, I, I won't push. I think the big one means 40. I mean, is it? Like, is, is, is 50 40, the 40's 40? new 30? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's not 30, Nick. What, what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, that's a big deal. I don't know. I, I don't have anything planned. <laughs> wow. Well, you need to Just do something. another day. <laughs> another day. Another day in paradise. Well, happy birthday. Thanks. You do. You have a birthday also. Not this year. Yeah, Nick is a leap year baby, yes. so he's weird. But I am close. I am close. But yeah. <laughs> what are you, eight? All right. So people ask me, what you have to do is I take my age and and I'm 39 and then I have to divide that by four. But really, you only get up to 36 and then you're three years. So hey. I'm not I'm not quite to, next year will be a real one. I mean, it is a it is a long wait when your parents give you no gifts. That is for year after year. <laughs> and, and then on that fourth year, you're like, this is the big one. <laughs> so it's it's tough. That's not true. My parents always took good care of me. Um, usually, we uh, the first question I always get asked if anybody's wondering. I celebrate on February twenty eighth because everyone's like, "Do you celebrate on March first or February twenty eighth?" And I do the twenty eighth because you want to you want to say like, "I'm I'm born in February," like I'm not born in March. But technically, I should wait till March first. That would have been the day. But I just I just think that's weird. But also, as a child, who wants to wait one more day? Well, that want to go ahead and have it. And, and to back up why I do that, like to prove that I was right my whole entire life. Facebook recognizes my birthday as February 28th. Like, so somebody in their algorithm like made a decision to like, all right, leap your babies or they're getting triggered on the 28th. So <laughs> that's what happens. Because it would be really lonely if I had to wait for four years for somebody to wish me happy birthday on Facebook. <laughs> Are you ready for the uh, teacher's lounge? We need to hop in there. We're off the tracks. Yes. Okay. Do you know who Mike Rowe is? I think he's so cute. The Dirty Jobs guy. Yeah, the yeah. Dirty Jobs guy. Yeah. And I think he has like some commercials out there too. Uh, is like he Ford or Chevy? Something. Yeah, yeah. We One of those know. real men yeah. commercials. Yeah. Yeah. So he, I, you may not have I think known, he's Ford. for like four or five, five years now, he's been giving scholarships to help close the skills gap. He's very passionate about. I've, I've kind of heard something like he this. He says yeah. that we're in a crisis. We're heading for a crisis to where. There are a bunch of people that are skilled in things like plumbing, yeah, and carpentry, electrical. I, I know my stuff. plumber makes a fortune because yeah, welding. <laughs> so automotive, 
and that we have a skills gap in our nation because we're not training the younger generation. Right. We're pumping them all into colleges and universities and saying you have to get a four-year degree. Right. So he goes around the country speaking about this. He's very vocal about it. But he doesn't just talk about it and complain. He actually has a scholarship. That's cool. Are we talking like big bucks here? I don't know how well Micro does. Oh, yeah. Like he... This year, he's giving away $500,000. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think over the past four years, he's given away up to $5 million. And I bet you that money goes a lot further in a technical school than it would yeah. a four-year university. Right. And so he it's called the Work Ethic Scholarship. Yeah. And you have to apply for it. You have to have a high school diploma or a you have received a GED. Right. Um, and you have to be enrolled in a vocational school. Right. Um, you have to... Write an essay of why you think you should be chosen. They also have a video component that you can make to say, this is the area I'm most interested in, and here's why I want to right. learn this trade. But he says, like, you know, we're we're going to be in trouble if we don't start making it luxurious, you know, a flashing beacon, right. beacon you know, urging students and youngsters to go in that direction. I could not agree more. With that whole theory of like, you know, we don't have to send every child to college. Right. However, the reason I'm, I get it is because it, if it were my kids, you want them to, to, to have the, you know, it's like, oh, you should go to college. Like, this is what you think. Like, it's hard to say to your kid, you know what, maybe college isn't for you. Like, that's a hard thing to tell your child. Maybe technical school is for you. Like, and I don't know why it's hard. I think because society says and, you I don't know, think you need to say that. I don't think you say that at all. I know, okay, my son, for example, he is a senior, Mm -hmm. and I asked him six years ago, and I didn't like the answer that he gave me, just just so we're clear, it's the same answer now, (laughs) but I asked him, what do you want to be? Like, what really interests you? Like, what do you see yourself doing every single day? Because work is work is work. It doesn't matter. I love my job. I love art. Right. I love teaching. I love students. But yeah, there are days that I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't know if I can do it. But he said, you know, I really want to be a police officer. I really want to be in law enforcement or the military. It was, you know. And you didn't like that? Well, no. Yeah. I didn't like it. Number one, because of the danger. But also because I know that although those members of society are highly valued in my mind, they are not equally compensated. Just like like any school teacher, when their child tells them, I want to be a school teacher. That teacher is going to say, no, darling, do yeah. something else. Right. You know, I want With you to make more potential. money. I yeah. want you to, to be valued more right. and paid for that. So, but he's still, that's what he wants to be. That's right. what he wants to do. So you really have to ask your child, you know, now I had to dig deeper with my son and say, do you want to be in law enforcement? Let's, let's think about that. Do you want to be a federal agent a local law enforcement officer, right. a military law officer. Park ranger. Right, yeah. So That's what when I do. you answer those questions, then it's very clear the path you have to take. Right. Because, no, he doesn't have to get a four-year degree to work in his community as a law enforcement right. officer. Right, they're probably happy to have him. Right. Yeah. But he wants to be a DEA agent. He wants to be a federal agent, so he does need a four-year degree. So I think you have to be really careful yeah. Pay attention. Like my nephew, for example, he loves math and science. He can solve things. He can build things. He can, it, you know, it was very clear to me 
that that's what he was good at. But just because you're good at something doesn't mean that's what you should do. But he loves it. So he got involved in robotics. He started competing with his school in the summertime, going to camps, doing all this stuff to where, yeah, now he knows he wants to be an engineer. He needs to go to school and you know, college and they're after, yeah, Yeah. but he's ready to do it and wants to do it. Whereas somebody else that's really good in math, they don't want to be an engineer. And and so I know you're not in the high school, um, but do you think the guidance counselors are changing their tone? Because when I was in going in high school, it was like, all right, which college are you going to go to? Like we never had that discussion. Like, is this real? Do you really want to go to college? Well, I know by law, they have to give an interest inventory test Mm -hmm. to students that basically they just answer. I mean, it's like 85 questions and it spits out, hey, here's where you're most need to look towards this, this, and this. And here's what that looks like on the college level. And some of it is not on the college level. Right. You know, but here's things you need to consider. Um, no, I do, I do think that um, college counselors, now they don't, Our college counselors, when we were in high school, they were, I should say our high school counselors, they were the bridge between high school and college. Right. That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Now, you do have to get your high school counselor as a reference, Mm -hmm. but there is no more going to meet with your high school counselor and they're saying, here's where I see you and here's, I can help you, here's some information. No, no. What, What happened? They are more with testing mm-hmm. and scheduling and um, mental health. Yeah, mental so, health, I think, is right. spot on. So that that's what they do. Yeah. Um, now, there is every high school has a career center. Mm-hmm. and You can go there on your own to get help if you want to find avenues to go towards vocational or college or whatever. Right. That's career discovery and... You know, there are classes that you can take in that class. They'll give you an interest inventory to try to help you. But it's more on your own. I mean, it's certainly a discussion that every parent should be having with their kids because it it is the outside of your house. It's the most costly thing. In some cases, more than your house, the most costly thing. So it's like, do you really want to send your child to college when his head's not in the game? You know, when when he's not really serious about going. Do you really want to drop over $100,000, and then him go, eh, that really wasn't what I was... Well, and Mike Rowe talks about how there's 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 fake, like he calls it fake degrees, you know, that you are unemployed because you have these degrees that qualify you to do basically nothing. You mean like from... Well, they're a real degree from a college. From You're talking about from but, public universities. Right. He, he's saying they're fake degrees. Basically, right. they're just looking for a way to take your money. That's right. And he's basically saying, you're buying into this thinking you're going to come out of this four-year program With and be guarantee. completely yeah. hireable, and you're not. Yeah. And you're, you're going to be unemployed, and you're going to end up doing something that you never thought you were going to do because your degree doesn't... There's not enough jobs out there for what you're for what we're right. pumping out. But they had no problem taking your money and, That's and right. kind of teaching you. So and, he's and very paper. clear yeah. and he makes some yeah. people mad when he says it. But the statistics prove it. 
No, it's true. I mean, I think any good advice, like if I could go tell myself, you know, talk to myself when I'm 18, it'd be like, find out what you want to do and then pick a university that specializes in that. Because mm-hmm. all universities seem to have all the basics. You know, they, they oh yeah, you want to be a broadcaster? We, we have that, you know. But really, most universities are good at five to 10 different things. You know, some universities might be good law schools. Some might be have a good polymer science school. Some might have a good nursing program. But it doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily have a good economics program. You That's know? right. Or engineering. Or engineering or mm-hmm. whatever. So you really need to do your research there and kind of figure out what's the school that fits my interest and isn't just going to take my money and kind of teach but me. But you also need to listen to what your kids like. And if it is not what you thought you would want for your child, right? you need to ask yourself, Does it? Is it a steady job and will they be happy? Yeah. Will it allow them to also raise a family? Yeah. Will, will it allow them time home with their family? I mean, the good thing you about know, law enforcement, you're employable anywhere in the country. Right. Like a teacher. Right. You know? And, you know, so you, you need to, ask, you know, ask your child, especially in high school, those things. Because, like, I know a young lady that just did an internship. She's a senior. She's always wanted to be a neonatal, you know, I, I don't even know the word, but it's like basically a brain surgeon. For babies. For babies, wow. Yeah. Neonatal and neurosurgeon? I don't know. Something like that. Okay. And so she went and interned with one. Well, she came away from that learning that she doesn't want to do that, number one, because that surgeon let her know how many years of college, then medical school, mm-hmm. then residency, then this even further because you're dealing with infants. Right. So. She was like, you know what? I, I don't want to do that. And she's, t- in my opinion, one of the best students coming out of our high school. She should be Miss Oak Grove, you know. Yeah. And she is, at the end of her senior year, all of a sudden, because she had to do this internship, because it was required by our school, catch it now. she's now like, okay, whoa, I'm going to change that now. Yeah. Because I do want to be a mom one day. Yeah. And basically, I'm learning that that's almost impossible if I go into this specific line of work. Right. So I'm going to still be in the medical field, but I'm going to adjust it to where it's not such an acute area right. of pediatrics. Well, the good news is she still has time. And Absolutely. Like she has a good head on her shoulders. Yeah, but I mean, I think sometimes we don't listen to what our kids want. You know, we they want to be a doctor, go be a doctor, but we never also educate them on this is what that really looks like. So right. you got to think about it. Yeah. Well, good for micro. I, I see nothing wrong with it. You know, I know we're all pro-education, but it doesn't have to be in the traditional university sense. I, I, hopefully people agree with that. Yeah. And if you have a child graduating in this year, they have till June 4th to apply for his Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, so I was reading an article on EdSurge about cybersecurity in K-12 through schools and apparently, this is a way bigger issue than schools are disclosing, um, according to their expert in this article. And I'll link to the article. But um, they're basically saying that that schools are just not reporting all the break-ins that they're having oh, into, into their system. And I believe it. Like, not not because I think they're being dishonest, because it's it's tough. Like, if Facebook and, and credit card companies and Equifax can't control their data... Who's to say a K through twelve school system can? Like that's tough. Yeah, I mean, who does that? Who who is in charge of that? Like, well, do we pay 
large companies do? I mean, I think it's on the district, and and I think there probably are companies out there, and we may do a whole episode on this because I know Russ, Russ is right, yeah somewhat yeah. of an expert on this. We may just need to bring him on as a guest one day to talk about security. And I know he also hired somebody recently that um, was working at a district doing security for that district. So we might be able to get on like both on and yeah. and kind of like chat do you about. Think we could get Russ on our show as a guest. <laughs> yes, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we, <laughs> I think we can, we can probably work him in. I'm sure he would want to tell us all about it. But the um, the things like that that this article kind of points as a way of getting in, like they were giving specific examples, like one out of Illinois where it was a, a denial of service attack, which basically is like where they disrupt access to the site. They they flood the the web page with so much traffic that you can't even like get onto it anymore. So it's like a DNS. Okay. Um, another thing are phishing scams, which you know about that. This one we, was out of oh. we just had that in our district. They oh, did you? To might want to be careful. Send an email out about yeah. that. Well, so it's like where an email, you know, tricks an employee into like sending sensitive sensitive information that then gives, you know, access. So it might be like, hey, you you need to update your password. Right. And and you think that you're updating your password or but you really logged in with your old password and your new one and now they have your credentials and you didn't update your password and now the district's exposed. Um and and you know, I get it. Like if you I don't want to stereotype, but I mean if you if computers are new to you, you know, like you, you believe it. Like, you're like, oh, I'm supposed to do this. this is, my job's on the line. I'm supposed to right. give them a new password. And, and you don't really know to look out for some of that stuff. Um, so, so I understand that being an issue. The other possibility is a ransomware attack, where that's where um, it's just typically like you're uploading software. So, like, let's just say that the software might say something like, um, you know, this is a great tool for your classroom. And it's really them a virus a virus that they're yeah. going to get on and then have access to your computer and be able Gosh, to I hate stuff like that right and uh the last is unauthorized disclosures or data breaches often caused by human error in the ed- education sector and um hmm. that was the case of a district over in uh, pennsylvania so um it, it is a major issue i wish that the article would go on and say here's what you need to do yeah but there really wasn't that. Like basically the article ends is like, this is a wicked problem. There's no easy solution. <laughs> it's not just that we need more money, different policies and more training. The nature of these threats is going to keep changing. And if major companies like Equifax, Apple, Cisco, and Facebook can't keep a handle on their stuff, what chance do little school districts have? And then the article's done. And you're kind of like, what? So I do want to loop back around with Russ. And I mean, I'm not to say that he has solutions, but there might be some basic steps that you can take, right. you know. Um, like for someone like me that has no, knowledge at all like right. i would love to know don't do this don't do that and then i'll be like okay okay i'll stay in those lines but i mean basically like it school districts probably should be telling all of their their teachers their their team staff everybody like we will never ask you for your password like right that's in what an my email. district like we did, do yeah. like we will pick up the phone and call you right. you know and that type of stuff and that should be happening but i just can't imagine you know again we've talked about this over and over again school districts are they're large companies, you know, and they have, but it's like, this isn't their area of expertise. Their area of expertise is education, but now they have to worry about their data. Are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Yes. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment began his education career as a teacher at a Boston middle school in 1969. Over three decades, Kim Marshall served as a policy advisor, speechwriter, director of curriculum, and principal for Boston schools since 2002. Kim has been serving as a coach for principals, and he has been maintaining the Marshall Memo, a weekly publication designed to keep educators in the know about current education research and best practices. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. You have been writing the Marshall Memo uh, for over 15 years now, and this is after already having a very distinguished 
career in public education. What is your mission with the memo? Why did you decide to start doing this? When I was a principal, I did not have enough time to read. Uh, everybody knows the principalship is a pretty all-consuming job. Also, being a teacher is. Both of my children are teachers, and I have sort of ongoing sense of how challenging the job is. And so once I got finished being a principal, uh, out of exhaustion, by the way, uh, I decided that I now had time to read and that I should write summaries of the very best ideas from a wide variety of publications and send them to principals so that they, in 20 minutes each week, could get some of the best ideas from all around the world. And that's what I've been doing on a weekly basis now for, for 15 years. This week's Marshall Memo is Marshall Memo 774. So I've, I've kept it up at 50 issues a year for all these years. That is some serious dedication. Did you think that, I mean, what's the response been like? I guess you must have people reading it or you wouldn't continue to do it for 15 plus years. Oh, absolutely. And and people pay for this. I mean, this is a, this is not a free service. It's a, it's it's sent out to I have subscribers in all 50 US states and in 71 foreign countries. So there are a lot of people who are reading the memo and I get a lot of a lot of good feedback. Uh people get ideas, people spread ideas to their colleagues in schools. Uh, it's it's a going proposition. Saying that, I feel like you really have your fingers on the pulse of the state of education in America. So if you'll indulge me for a little bit, let's start at 30,000 feet, and we're going to try to make this simplistic, but but on a grade scale, let's just say A through F, how would you rate the state of public education in the USA right now? Oh, my goodness. That's a huge question. <laughs> well, you know, this, the surveys find that people are happy with their local schools, they give A's and B's to their local schools, the ones their kids are going to, but they're down on the schools nationally. Uh, they give them, you know, sort of C's and D's. So that's that's what the cap and poll shows every year. And I, I think that sort of shows the problem of perception, you know, the perception that there are all these problems, you know, with strikes and facilities and blah, blah. But my kids and my schools and my teachers, uh, you know, they're they're good. So I, I think it's very hard to give that kind of general statement. Uh, that said, uh, you know, generally the U.S. is doing pretty well, but <clears throat> there are pockets of problems. Uh, even here in Massachusetts, where I live, <clears throat> we have some of the best schools in the nation, according to test scores and other measures, you know, on a par with Singapore and Finland and international. But we have New Bedford, we have Lawrence, we have Fall River, we have schools in Boston, we have you know a variety of schools that are having real problems, and they're mostly schools that are educating children coming from poverty, uh, children who have other issues in their lives, uh, and uh, so that's sort of the, the split is between the sort of middle-class kids who are getting a pretty good shake, uh, private schools similarly, uh, religious schools, parochial schools, and so forth, all doing pretty well, but then the children of poverty with some exceptions, <clears throat> and it's actually the exceptions that fascinate me the beat-the-odds schools. Uh, that's actually what got me out of the classroom and into the principal's office uh, you know, in the late 1970s, was reading the research on how some schools, some principals, some schools, uh, you know, beat the odds and produce really good schools for children who are very challenged. So I'm going to ask you another question that's going to feel a little general, but I'm still going to challenge you here a little bit. You've, you've had this perspective from 1969 to, to 2019, so we're going on five decades of being intimately involved in public education. Over that span of five decades, when do you think public education was at its best? Is it now, or, or was there a golden age maybe in the 80s? What are your thoughts there? That's a great question. I, I think I think it's now we've done better. Uh, I think, and I think part of that is through some things that were controversial. For example, 
uh, the George, <clears throat> the George W. Bush, uh, you know, reforms, which, uh, you know, I think they had a lot of negative impact you know, over testing and, and uh, you know, narrowing the curriculum and so forth. But I think one of the best things that came out of it was producing data broken down by race, by class, you know, by, by different schools. So you could actually shine a spotlight on those areas, as I mentioned earlier, where kids are not getting good schools and good classrooms and good teaching. Uh, so I think I think that we have moved forward in our consciousness of where the problems are. And again, in Massachusetts, you know, doing well overall, we have zeroed in. And the state has actually taken over the schools of Lawrence, the schools of several other districts and, and individual schools that are not doing well. And they're sent in teams and extra resources to actually bring them up. But I think, you know, big picture is we're getting better. Uh, and, and I think internationally we're, we're getting better, although... Some of the scores are flatlining, and more and more kids are getting, you know, good teaching that prepares them for life. Uh, but it's it's a struggle, and there certainly are pockets where there are major problems. Uh, so you you're combing through articles and, and news stories, and just even you know thought leaders uh, from through the internet on on a weekly basis. Uh, what has been the theme that you've seen in education over the past year or two? So I, I think one of the big uh, things that I'm seeing, and I read 60 publications plus, and you know, every week I'm sitting down on Sunday and reading through all these articles and, and trying to find out of 150 articles the one that's, that, that I think a principal and a teacher and a superintendent should be most interested in. I, I see a, a real focus on assessment, on effective use of assessments, uh, this sort of consciousness that that's come out of, say, the work of Dylan William and other wonderful researchers, uh, just uh, how important it is for teachers to check for understanding as they teach and then after they teach. I think assessment, and I give a whole presentation on this now of how <clears throat> how we've really got to get away from this tests are horrible consciousness that came out of the overdoing it and zero in on what great teachers have always done, which is to constantly check during the lesson for understanding and not just saying any questions or not just calling on the kids who raise their hands, but getting a sense, and we have great technology for this now, you can actually use devices, you know, electronic devices, uh, iPhones, you know, tablets and so forth to get to see how every kid is understanding and then to, to address their misunderstandings uh, in real time. So that's, that's the thing that I'm finding most fascinating in the reading that I've done in the last year or two. Uh, can we drill down on that a little bit more? Because I want to. I'm just trying to think through all the guests that we've had on this show. I don't really know that anyone's ever brought this to light. So you're saying, are, are, am I hearing you right? Are you saying more testing or just using different ways to check understanding? Well, if you think of testing, I mean, there's really three kinds of tests. There's sort of the big deal kind of state tests or high stakes tests, uh, standardized tests. Then there's the say a unit test. Or, you know, we finished this unit on uh, immigration and we're giving a test on it or a performance task. And that, that's sort of a, every five or six weeks. And then there's the on the spot in the moment, sometimes called formative assessment. And you wouldn't really even call it a test, although it could be a quiz. Uh, it could be a quick clicker question in the middle of class. What's a fraction between one sixth and one seventh? Uh, how long does it take the Earth to you know to to orbit around the sun? That, that's that's that sort of question. Checking in, and so it's it's that the last two kinds of of assessments slash tests that I'm talking about here, especially the last one, the, the formative on the spot in the moment checking for understanding. That I think is where the research is strongest. It's very powerful, but it's the first kind, the standardized test, that's given testing a bad name. And, and and 
with good reason, because we really have overdone it and test prep and obsession and, you know, narrowing the curriculum and so forth. And, you know, all that stuff has hurt a lot and people are dialing back. But I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the, the most powerful um, tool in improving teaching and learning is the on-the-spot assessments, you know, checking for understanding. Has your vision or perspective about education in general evolved over the past, I guess let's just say 15 years that you've been doing the Marshall Memo? Have you have you learned stuff that's kind of changed your way of thinking about anything? Absolutely. And and actually the talk that I'm that I'm I'm giving fairly frequently, I just gave it in Los Angeles last week, I'm giving it in, in Mississippi uh this this coming Monday, is is this, you know, is the mind shifts that have taken place in education, you know, these, these major sort of changes in, in thinking, which I've kind of been in the middle of as a teacher and a central office and a principal. You know, for example, this, this idea that uh, the talent and, and, uh, <clears throat> and intelligence are inherited at birth and are fixed, uh, that poverty is destiny, uh, you know, that uh, principals you know, can't really be instructional leaders. Each of these is, is, is an area where I have turned around my own thinking and where I urge people as I give this presentation to turn around theirs. Uh, the idea that teaching is a God-given talent that you either have or you don't have, uh, and you know, there's really no, uh, no no science to teaching. It's just like this God-given thing. Uh, one big thing, and this is another area where I've really changed my thinking, is that teacher evaluation is a total waste of time. Uh, that it's just not working well, and people are actually I find are very cynical about teacher evaluation. You know, it's just this. Uh, thing we have to do and we go in once a year and watch you teach and we write it up and but I found a much better way of doing that and so of other people uh, the idea of using students uh, uh, for feedback to teachers uh, that's controversial and I think that can work and uh, and and the last one which really came up in the in the race to the top uh, era of uh, under Barack Obama was this idea of using um, student test scores to evaluate teachers uh, or, or looking at, at results as a way of judging teachers effectiveness. So those are like eight areas where thinking has really changed. And this is where what I've been tracking in the memo, and I'm now just sort of thinking in, in more general terms, how can we get people's attitudes straightened out on this so that they do the most effective job? And again, some people have been doing it all along. You know, some people are, you know, just are, are instinctive and intuitive about this, but a lot of educators, I find their heads are nodding. They're saying, yeah, we got to work on that. And so if, if I heard you say just a little while ago, you, you mentioned that your your mindset about whether or not teachers or teaching was was a god given gift has changed. So, um, if I heard you right, you were saying maybe years ago you thought, yeah, it's something that you just kind of know, but now you've kind of changed your way of thinking, where you feel like no, anyone can taught be taught to be a teacher. Is that right? Well, not anyone, uh, but but I, I always ask audiences, how many of you uh, audiences of educators, how many of you had a tough first year teaching? And usually three quarters of the hands in the room go up. Uh, and so a lot of people stumble in the beginning. Now, some people, you know, are rock stars from day one. And, and those are the people, again, who feed this idea that it's a God-given talent. I've seen substitute teachers come in when I was a principal who could just walk in the door, no education background, no courses, no reading or anything. And, and they just are terrific with kids from day one. Uh, but that, they're a very small minority. And a lot of us who had a tough first year of teaching, and I sure did, uh, you know, got better. We got help. We got, you know, we figured things out and, and we, we improved. And so I think there really is uh, a knowledge base about teaching. And there's, I, I flash on, on my presentations a slide with six books, six amazing books that have deconstructed teaching and that have really figured out what are these things. One of the best ones is called Teach Like a Champion uh, by Doug Lamob, an amazing book with 62 specific techniques. And he got these just by watching good teachers 
And then he's written them up and described them and he's got videos for them so people can actually see, yes, this is a little move that good teachers do and which I can learn, which I can get better at. So I think that's, that's very exciting. That it, it is a trainable art. Now, again, not everyone can do it. Some people don't like kids, you know, and they shouldn't be in the classroom. Uh, some people are, you know, are just uh, deeply steeped in the way they were taught, you know, lecture method, you know, kind of boring lectures, and they won't budge from that. But most people can get better, and that's where the coaching and the and the good evaluation process comes in. What would you say? We talk about a lot on this this show about teacher burnout, um, and and we're also not seeing. Um, teachers making it a long time career because because they are getting tired and they're switching careers completely. What would you say to the teacher that has almost had it? Well, I think you know I think of my daughter and my son, <clears throat> both of whom are <clears throat> secondary school uh, humanities teachers. My daughter teaches English, my son teaches history, and that's a huge amount of correcting and grading of papers, not to mention college recommendations. <clears throat> and I think the you know that there are a lot of ways of of uh, cutting down on the correcting low, which is one of the big uh, burnout factors. Uh, this is a wonderful title of a book by Robin jo- Jackson: "Never Work Harder Than Your Students." And I think teachers who are just spending hours and hours burning the midnight oil, you know, grading papers and marking them up, and, and then the kid looks at it, looks at the grade, and tosses it in the backpack, and never look, never to be seen again. That's 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 a bad practice. <clears throat> so again, getting more student investment, more the kids doing more of the work, actually taking responsibility for that. That's step one. And then step two is sort of getting things in perspective. I mean, for example, this whole notion of differentiation, that you should have like a different lesson plan for the kinesthetic learners and for the auditory learners and the visual learners, that's been discredited now. Daniel Willingham and others, uh, University of Virginia and others have really sort of said, this is not a good practice. You know, we need to teach effectively for what we're teaching. So if we're teaching the Civil War, let's show the movie Gettysburg. If we're teaching atomic structure, like get out toothpicks and marshmallows and then build models. I mean, making it appropriate. So again, you know, spending your time wisely, not staying up all night doing unproductive stuff and then taking breaks, you know, yoga, I mean, exercise, uh, movies, uh, you know, this love relationships, uh, keeping things in perspective. And then one final thing is taking breaks like every seven years. I mean, sabbaticals. And that seems to be the canonical amount of time, like seven years and then do something different for a year. My daughter actually traveled around the world with a backpack, you know, after five years of teaching. And it it just was a breath of fresh air for her. And she became a travel blogger. But now she's back in the classroom, you know, and and keeping things with two young children, keeping things in perspective. And and it's it's hard work. uh, It's intense work. But then you have the summer. So I think that's the sort of intensity and breaks uh, is is the, is the, the formula plus working smart. I got to tell you, I love what you're doing because there are Google, for example, can aggregate um, news about education, right? A computer can sit there and grab all these stories and look at what people are reading and so forth. But but what you're doing cannot be replaced by a computer because you have decades of experience in the classroom and and you really understand what you're digesting and then sending out to all your your readers um did you ever that's 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 the value add now if i'm if i'm if you know and and i every week you know as i read through on sunday read through all these magazines and and newspapers and online stuff and i I just i'm bringing to bear that experience but i'm also anxious am i missing anything you know i'm reading through this article in the peabody journal of education you know should i do this one or not it's always a judgment call and i hope i'm getting it right my readers seem to think you know i'm getting it right although every week i lose readers Every week I gain them, so it's a, it's a you know, but most people are, are hanging in there and really, really appreciate that in 20 minutes they can get all these good ideas. And then they can go to the original articles often and read them in full or read the book. 
did you ever envision when you started this in I think it was 2003 that that it would go this long? Oh no. What well, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know what I thought. I thought it was a good idea. I knew that as a principal I would have appreciated it to have something like this. And uh you know, I just put one foot in front of the other and you know, weekly seemed to be the right uh, the right uh, uh span of time and you know, I could I could block out the time, basically read on Sunday, write on Monday and then but I think the key thing is getting into schools and seeing, you know, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, getting into schools, I'll be in New York schools, you know, all next week, uh, you know, just looking at what people are going through and that tunes my my eye. So now I know what I'm looking for and what what you know what what people really uh, need to be reading and need to be thinking about and 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 also will will feel appreciated. I'm doing that. That's good. You're publishing the Marshall Memo, I think, uh, fifty times a year. So so almost every week. How much longer do you think you're going to continue to do this? <laughs> as long as I'm healthy and uh, and can do it. And of course, this is indoor work, no heavy lifting. So so but but I I you know I've got Marshall Memo a thousand in my sights here. And then, you know, the question is when I'm not able to do it anymore, and that time will come, uh, handing it off uh, either to one of my children, to someone else, or possibly to a team, because there are really three aspects of this. The first is reading and, and spotting the good articles. The second is writing good summaries of them. And the third is doing the business part of it. And I have an assistant who works three days a week on that and does a great job, you know, working out of her house, uh, you know, doing the billing and keeping track of subscriptions and everything. So, you know, that could be a team, but I hope it'll keep going. And uh, the website is, is a terrific resource. I mean, that's you know, all the back articles are archived. You can search for stuff. And so I wanted to keep going. Um, ad infinitum. So I, 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 hopefully I'll hand the baton to somebody else uh, at some point when I'm no longer able to do it. And so if anybody wants to find it, it's, it's marshallmemo.com, correct? That's it. Yeah. Subscribers have a, it's a lot on the outer area, you know, just when you log in, all my writing and stuff. And, and then uh, members, uh, subscribers have a password and they can get into the members area. And that's where all the back articles and, and back issues are. Well, Kim okay, Marshall. Oh, and there's also a, there's also a, a also, sorry, there's also a podcast. Uh, I have a gentleman in upstate New York who records the memo every week. And so, uh, you know, you click on that and there's, again, for members only, there's a podcast. Oh, really? What's the name of that? Is it just the uh, Marshall Memo? It's, it's or? just the Marshall Memo podcast. It's, it's right on the right on the website, and, and also I included in each week, each week's cover memo. Uh, there's the link to the podcast for the previous week because uh, he he needs a couple of days to do it, and then we upload it to the website. That that is excellent. Um, love what you're doing, and we appreciate all your your, your dedication to education over the past uh, five decades. Um, Kim Marshall, are you ready for our pop quiz? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? I am a history buff. <clears throat> love love history. Find it fascinating. Unfortunately, a lot of teachers make it boring, but I'm, I think history is where a lot of the wisdom of the ages resides. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? It, it, more and more, we're seeing it's the social emotional stuff. <clears throat> it's the, the the grit, the tenacity, the belief in yourself, the self assessment, all those things that Angela Duckworth and others have written about that are actually more success, uh, more important to college and life success than uh, <clears throat> than perhaps a lot of the math and other stuff. What does every child deserve? Every child deserves uh, good teaching practices. <clears throat> uh, and again, and notice I'm not saying teacher, I'm saying teaching, 
effective teaching practices that get them to be increasingly self-reliant so that they are really, to use an overused term, lifelong learners. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? I think uh, electronic devices, uh, you know, the social media uh, that that is making uh, teenagers' lives now extremely complicated with, uh, you know, looking at their devices every two minutes, am I missing out on anything, FOMO, fear of missing out, uh, the bullying, the online bullying. I think uh, young teenagers have got a really complicated life these days, and I think the kids that succeed are the ones who are going to figure out when to turn the things off, when to look away from them, when to to have face-to-face communication with another human being. What's the best gift to give an educator? Say that again, please. Sure. What's the best gift to give an educator? Oh, goodness. I would say a set of suggestions on how to uh, grade papers more efficiently and have kids do more of the work. And I have actually a series of articles I've collected about this, about uh, specific steps to get kids to do more of the work as they write, as they formulate ideas and so forth, so that the the, the load, uh, the, the actual intellectual heavy lifting, the mental sweat is done more by the kids and less by the teacher. That might be the most practical answer I've ever had for that question. That's very good. Which teacher changed your life? I had a history teacher. I went to a British boarding school for for five years, and uh, I had a history teacher named David G., who was just an amazing character. Uh, He just did a lot of really wonderful stuff, and he just fired me up about learning and writing in particular. He used to give grades like B++, question mark, plus. (laughs) And we would have these tutorials in his his apartment and go over, three or four of us, go over our papers and discussion. And he really just uh, lit me up about about what what it means to be a thinker and a writer. And last question, pen or pencil? Uh, Pen, and I'm intrigued by this research that shows that when you take notes in a lecture uh, by pen versus uh, a laptop, you actually learn better and learn more because you process at a slower level and you paraphrase more. So uh, that's not pen or pencil. That's more pen versus computer. But uh, but I think I'm I'm a pen guy. All right, Kim Marshall, again, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with us and giving us all your wisdom and experience. The website is marshallmemo.com, and uh, we appreciate you uh, joining us. All right, my pleasure. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter. Just search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ward to go and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.